Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. It's Wednesday, which means we'll be picking out some of the best work available on the Athletic right now and putting the author under the spotlight. It's a clever free kick! And it's silence because Samuel Eto'o has given Cameroon the lead! And I said, oh, there's a little tournament in... January, and I didn't mean a little tournament, I just mean like you say, when something, there's still a tournament. It's ironic. Only half cleared away, it drops out of JJ Acocha, who scores what must be one of the best and most significant goals in a Nations Cup final. That is a thrilling goal by JJ Acocha. Yes, this week we're going to highlight an article by the brilliant Carl Anker simply entitled Why AFCON Matters, because two long years after it was initially scheduled and disrupted, we're finally here. AFCON is back. Yeah, really looking forward to that flow. And Jay Harris, reporter for The Athletic, has also been writing about Comoros, a.k.a. the Islands of the Moon, a tiny African nation which has written its own spectacular story by qualifying for AFCON for the first time in its history. He's joining us too. But let's say hello to Carl straight away because we want to ask him about Marcus Rashford. Carl, welcome. Been a while. I think it's been since the summer, actually. Pleasant memories of the Euros. Yeah. It's a, proper, it's a proper England pod yeah. reunion. Me, you, Dan. Yeah. It's just like old lovely, times. Lovely, lovely stuff. But yeah, let's talk about Marcus Rashford before we get stuck into the podcast because Alan Shearer on the BBC said after the game that he's got a bit of a crisis of confidence, Carl. And I mean, it's been a difficult season for Manchester United in general, but in particular, it feels like Rashford's having a difficult time. Yeah, it was a strange game against Aston Villa. Um, you know, Ralph Rangnick moved to a sort of 4-2-3-1-ish uh, when Manchester United had the ball, we really saw Rashford back on the left-hand side. He was getting some chalk on his boots, getting wide. And you know, first 20 minutes, Scott McTominay and whatnot kept trying to hit that switch to the left-hand side. Rashford was trying to get on the one-on-one. And he looked like he was cooking a little bit. You're like, oh, okay, this is more the Rashford of old. Um, and there are sort of two notable things about Rashford when you watch him play football a lot is, one, um, if he gets annoyed at a fullback getting touch tight in the first half, the next thing he'll do in the second half is he'll try and not make them very early on. That's his like, stop, stop trying to tackle me. I'm not making you now. Uh, and two, when he gets really frustrated and he's trying to take the game into an upper gear and like, right, you know, this isn't quite working for me. Let me try and score a goal. He will try and do a cut inside and shoot with a knuckleball. Um, so these are two things that he tries quite often, but you don't really want to see him do it before the 50th minute. What was interesting against earlier was basically in the 35th minute, he sort of did one or two one-on-ones and then he went for the knuckleball. And you're going, are you are you doing this early because you're confident? Are you doing this early because you're trying to prove that you're there? Uh, and then I think what became very ev- evident 
throughout the game was he was snatching at opportunities. His decision making wasn't great. Uh, we saw more of the problems that he had last season where he wasn't necessarily uh, bending his runs to stay on side. Uh, I think Rashford's in a, a state right now where he is aware of the fact he hasn't necessarily played too much football because obviously he was took three months out due to shoulder surgery. That's Difficult hard to say really quickly. It is hard to say, wow. And I think he, he, you know, he, he, he wants to put things right and he, want, he wants to show everyone he's still Marcus Rashford. But I think he, he looks a bit leggy. Uh, and I think he was in one of those states where he possibly could have been taken out and substituted earlier, if not to to just sort of like you know you're trying hard, but maybe it's not your day. Mm. But I'm sure he'll he'll come good sooner rather than later because he is still such a great talent. Yeah, I think it's a little bit harsh singling him out if I look at Manchester United. Cause I don't think anyone's really doing themselves justice. I mean, Bruno Fernandez off the top of my head, he looks a shadow of his former self and he's not particularly been, been singled out. So yeah, I think it's a bit off to single Rashford out, but we don't want to talk about the game last night. I'm still very, very upset with the VAR decision, which is very topical <laughs> after the referee podcast we did last week. If we get into that, Dan, we'll have to get the athletic lawyers involved in this Fumes. podcast. So we won't be touching <laughs> Absolutely that. Absolutely <laughs> fuming. So yeah, let's... Just try that little no, uh, you know, pick and roll. Let's move away from it, Carl, honestly. Remember, you can sign up for just £3.33 a month for 12 months to all the good written stuff. Just go to theathletic.com slash football pod and you'll enjoy unrivaled sports writing as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts, including this one. And also with the January transfer window open again, The Athletic are recording daily transfer shows, bringing you exclusive news and insight on all the big deals from the best newsroom in the industry. Unfortunately, you do have to hear my voice twice a week. The only place you can hear it is on The Athletic app or by subscribing to the the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcast. You can also start a free trial of that today if you haven't already had a pop. Let's bring in Jay Harris as well, usually the Brentford reporter for The Athletic, but has been doing a little bit of moonlighting around the AFCON. Jay, you've been telling the fascinating story of the Comoros on the site this week, a story I personally wasn't aware of, and I'm sure there was probably a few others that weren't aware of it as well. Is this an example of what makes the African Cup of Nations so, so special? 110%. This is why I just love football in general. You know, these stories where an underdog comes up out of nowhere and punches well above their weight. For people that don't know, the Comoros is a collection of really, really small islands. It's near the east coast of Africa, the southeast coast of Africa, quite near Madagascar. And um, it's got a population of 815,000 people. They didn't win their first competitive international match, I think, until I think it's 2015, 2016. And um, nobody was expecting they'd get anywhere close during the qualification process for it. They beat Togo 1-0 away from home. And that was like, oh my word, this is an incredible result. And then they followed that up in the next game and they draw 0-0 with Egypt. And Salah wasn't playing that game, but you know, you still had Trezeguet, Hagazi, who used to play for West Brom in the Premier League. And for the Comoros, that 0-0 draw with Egypt was sensational. This is like, oh my word, like, we don't care what happens after this. We've, we've, we've beaten Togo. We've got a draw of Egypt. We've, we've made our country proud. And then they beat Kenya and then they draw with Kenya, even though they had a man sent off. And then they draw again with Togo and they qualify for AFCON. And this is the first time they've been at AFCON, but it's also obviously the first time they've ever been at a major international tournament. So it's simply phenomenal. They didn't even join FIFA until 2005. So these are the stories I absolutely love. This is what gives me football joy, just a country punching well above its weight. Unfortunately, they lost 1-0 in our opening game to Gabon last night. But I think the fact that they're even at this tournament is, is an achievement in and of itself. They were great. They were great against Gabon. Like they there was, were. Oh, they were all over them. Um, so 
Gabon, Comoros, and Morocco, they're in the same group as Ghana. I'm of Ghanaian heritage. I was watching that game going, uh-oh, these lads can play. Um, and, you know, it's the biggest AFCON so far, 24 teams, third place qualifiers and whatnot. So after Ghana lost to Morocco, I thought, oh, you know, big Comoros, get a draw, maybe you can sneak in fourth place. But I, I watched that Gabon game going, oh... Am I secretly in a group of death here? <laughs> I always thought that group was a group of death, Carl. I had group of death written all over it. That I think Ghana are going to struggle. But what I think is really nice, Jay, about what you brought forward in this piece and some of the quotes as well from the players is I think it links really nicely to what Carl wrote about in his Why Afghan Matters piece, especially because there's a quote in your piece, Jay, about Rafidini Abdullah, who talks about he didn't even know that Comoros had a national team. And I think what makes AFCON really special for me anyway, and, and in uh, in Carl's piece, he has a quote from Salim Masood Saeed, who talks about the educational aspect of AFCON is like learning about football, le- even learning about countries. For me, it was learning about flags. So much of that comes from watching football. Like you become really good at flag rounds or pub quizzes when you watch a lot of football <laughs> because you know all of them. I'd never seen the Comoros flag until yesterday, until watching that game on Monday, I'd never seen that flag. And I think it's amazing to kind of just hear about all these stories for the first time and even the players that playing in the team are you know like like Carl said a lot of diaspora who are who going back to to their you know nations where their their family have heritage but they may never have been before and now learning about their own culture through football which is why I think AFCON is especially so unique because of the diaspora and how vast it is. But that's the power of international football, right? You, it just brings cultures from all across the world all together. Like I can remember the first international tournament that I watched when I was younger was the 2002 World Cup in South Korea and Japan. And you start following all these teams that you've never heard of before. I think that's the year um, Senegal knocked out, basically knocked out France. And you think, oh my God, Senegal, where's this? What's this country? And then I think, you know, all these players, El Hadjouf, they get their big moves to, to Premier League clubs off the back of that. But I'm sure Carl can speak more eloquently on, on what you touched on there. But yeah, one of the most probably poetic and beautiful things about AFCON is, like you said, all these players who, for the Comoros, the vast majority of them have been born in France, have kind of over time wanted to get back in touch with their, their ancestral heritage. Like you said, Rafadine Abdallah, it might have been one of the other players, it escapes me, but basically said, I've never been to the Comoros before, wasn't interested. I grew up in France. That was the dream. That didn't work out. So in the beginning wasn't really that wasn't really that fussed about playing for the Comoros. There was a lot of hesitation. And then he said the second he went over to the island, I think I think the exact quote was, All my fears disappeared. Through the power of football, he's just reconnected with his ancestry and heritage. And I think that's beautiful. And that's what these tournaments are all about. I've got friends who are from Cameroon, Zimbabwe, Zambia, and they're gonna be so so vocal about this tournament and they're so proud that it's gonna be on Sky Sports. And that's what the power of international football is all about, bringing all these different cultures together. And it's just a celebration. That's what these tournaments are supposed to be. Yeah, Carl, your piece, for people who haven't read it, it starts with a simple statement. It says, Africa is huge. I've got to hold my hands up here. And I, I think I'm quite guilty of this. I haven't disrespected Afghan because I haven't said anything bad about it. But I don't think I've ever paid loads of attention to it in my life, which I'm a little bit ashamed of. But can, can you just tell us why it does matter? I know Jay's just touched on some, some of the reasons, but to you, can you just tell us why AFCON matters and detail a few bits that are in your piece? There, there's a quote that says, uh, man is a lot more interested in the interests than their rights. And something that has always fascinated me and I found a bit curious and a bit strange is how names, 
immigrant names. So if you if you come to the United Kingdom and you have uh, a name that is very much not of English, French, or, or, or you know, quote unquote, accepted pronunciation, it will take you a while at school, right? So it'll take you a while for your school teacher to understand how to say your name properly. And there's always that thing when you're in a school register and you've got that long name, it's like, oh, this, and I'm talking to you right now and I'm Carl Anker partly because my parents were very much like, let's give him a slightly easier name for the area he was growing up in, right? Uh, and I always find it interesting how at the start of every single international tournament we have, right, Euros, AFCON, Copa America, there's always one player name that's hard to say. But if that football player has a really good tournament by the quarterfinals, by the semifinals, we always get it. And the one I always think about was uh, Mishi Bashwai. You know, Euro 2016, uh, they, UEFA did this thing about how to pronounce player names and it was Bashwai. And I went, uh, okay, this is a good football player for Marseille. I don't know how to say that name. But I knew end of the group stages, if this kid plays a lot for, Bel- for Belgium, we'd all figure it out. Comes to England, starts playing for Chelsea. Everyone now knows how to say Mishi Bashwai. And... In that way of AFCON is knowledge. AFCON is knowledge not only for Western viewers, but it's also knowledge for the first generation, the second generation, the third generation, the diaspora kid, right? I can remember I'm of the age where no one really knew where Ghana was, right? I could, I could, you know, my parents come to, to England in the 80s, around 90s, and knowledge of West Africa was very much Nigeria or, or bust. And then Tony Yeboah scores that goal for Leeds. Yeboah... And my dad always remembers how people immediately began to understand what Ghana was and where it was. And Ghana was this country close to Nigeria because there was this football player who played for Leeds and he scored a great goal. Uh, I have a friend, uh, she's called Kalechi, and she told me that one day she was at her job and people always had problems saying her name. And then all of a sudden, like the security guard finally understood how to say Kalechi. And she went, what's going on? And Yacho started scoring goals. For, for Man City, right? At, at, like this is the power of football. This is the, the it teaches you stuff even if you don't know you're, you're learning stuff. Um, and I think Afcon has always been really important for me because it's every two years there's just a very good way for me to go. Hello everyone, this is what Ghana is. Hello everyone, this is my people. This is my this is what my flag looks like. This is what our national anthem is about. Our national anthem has these lyrics. Uh, my country is less than sixty five years of age. We were the first ever uh, sub Sahara country to, to declare independence. We declared independence from the British. We're going to play against this country. When we play against Nigeria, that's the biggest grudge match ever. Here's a story about when my dad uh, found out Ghana was going to play Nigeria in the knockouts of AFCOM and basically took the next day off work, flew back to Ghana so he could watch it, right? Um, we always talk about World Cup stories and Euro stories. Um, and you know, we've just did the England show last year and we always talk about it's coming home about football coming home whereas I think AFCON is very much it's a celebration it's really important to me because it's so many people going this is what my home looks like it is wholly unique it is not what Western Europe thinks of as home right I think if you ever are confused as to why AFCON matters try and find you know try and get feed where that is showing an AFCON game before kickoff and just listen to the national anthems because so many of these national anthems talk about freedom, talk about 
blood, uh, tragedy, uh, and pride, uh, and essentially kicking out some form of colonial power, right? Um, go talk to an Algerian football fan about their football team and how happy they are and how proud they are of their national team and what they've done in the last five or six years to basically make it easier for first generation, second generation Algerians to play for the national team rather than declare for France. They will have very, very serious things to say about Zinin Zidane, you know? Um, he talked to a Ghanaian football fan of a certain age about the Ayu brothers. And I go, yeah, look, they're really frustrating, but their dad is Abadi Pele. And they'll tell you this beautiful story about Abadi Pele. You talk to Zambian football fans and they'll tell you this amazing story about their triumph in 2013. You talk to Ivory Coast football fans and they'll tell you about how it's really strange that they had this amazing golden generation led by Didier Drogba, but didn't win AFCON because AFCON is mad. Like it, Golden generations mean absolutely nothing in AFCON. But when you get a golden generation, you know you need to pay special attention because it's not like in England, it's not like in Portugal, it's not like in France, where golden generation comes every 20 years. You get a golden generation of African football players, like that's it. Like, you're like I don't know when these boys are coming back. So I really hope we can win it in their window. Um, footballing stories at AFCON are different from footballing stories in a Euros or, or necessarily in, in a World Cup, if you have it with a Eurocentric or, or South American perspective. Um, I know Jack Lan um, often covers South American football and he often talks about Copa Americas and he described the Copa America once as um, having its own unique time signature. So if you if you you like listening to music you know, on a 4-4 beat and you listen to something of a Copa America or Copa Liradores, it's like on a 3-4 beat and you're hang on, wait, this sounds odd, but then you sort of retune your ears. I think AFCON's the same. It's got its own different time signatures. It's, it's got its own unique languages and verbs and and terms, you know, the very first game of AFCON, 40 seconds in, just a horrendous yellow card. That should never have been a yellow card. I remember when AFCON uh, in 2019 had VAR and all of my friends, you know, first generation diaspora is going, VAR AFCON is going to be absolutely hilarious. And it was because it was chaos. Like, I, like you just seeing grown men argue with a computer saying, I wasn't offside. Well, here's, here's, here's a screenshot going, I'm not. Um, just the fact that Senegal won in the 97th minute with a penalty in this year's Afghan as well. Like there is so much chaos and I, you know, lack of a better term, vibes to an AFCON. And I'm, I'm speaking to you as a, a person very much who likes the stats, who likes tactics, who likes talking about XG. And I remember Jonathan Wilson has covered about eight AFCONs and he, you know, he wrote Inverting the Pyramid and he's written many a dispatch from AFCON going, look, all my tactical information, all the stuff I've written in these books doesn't really matter because at AFCON, tactics are just, you know, playing a 4-4-2 and when it gets busy, lump it to the big man. Uh, and that's how a golden generation gets knocked out, right? You'll be watching AFCON thinking that your golden generation is going to play really well. And then all of a sudden this weird jobbing centre forward that's been all over South Asia and parts of Germany just absolutely destroys your team. And you're going, who, why, why has this happened? I still get shivers whenever someone mentions Aristide Banse from Burkina Faso because he shouldn't have beaten Ghana in 2013, but he destroyed us. Case in point as well, Aaron Bupenza, who scored for Gabon yesterday, 25 years old, plays in guitar, never heard of him. Unbelievable player. I'm now convinced that QPR should sign him. <laughs> he scored such a good goal and he was just 
honestly so good yesterday. His movement was exceptional. He stayed onside most of the game. He was timing his runs to perfection. He was so quick. Even when the centre-half had about 10 yards on him, when he had a handicap, he would just beat them to the ball. And now I'm going to be following his career with every inch of my life. I'm going to be watching him step by step and waiting for him to come over and play in the championship. I think that's what, that is what, like you said, Carl, that makes it so special. But Something you also mentioned the piece is Sebastian Heller, who plays for Ivory Coast, and Trusi Kong, who plays for Nigeria, talking about the disrespect that the tournament's had. Do you think that's shifting a little bit with this edition, with an expanded competition? So we've got obviously more players playing who play in Europe, also sort of reconnecting. Or do you think there is still a massive lack of respect for this? I think there's a greater understanding of how important AFCON is. And I think there's a greater pride in the Africa diaspora, right? I, I, I mean, from a personal perspective, there was times going to school where I, I, I didn't really show off my Ghanaian heritage, right? I, I wasn't, certain school kids were bringing in certain things for lunch and I, I wasn't bringing in my jollof rice, so to speak. Whereas now I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more, I'm a bit older. I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable in my own skin. Uh, I think I'm, I'm a lot more proud of where I come from. I, I want to reconnect with my roots now. I, I want to learn my mother tongue that I didn't, none as a child and I think you're seeing that more in this generation of football players and this generation of, of people especially right I think thanks to the work of the Algerian FA and, and the Moroccan FA as well you're seeing a lot you're seeing changes to FIFA ruling so now first generation second generation diaspora kids who may have got a cap for for England or France or or, or Portugal's on the 21 team um, and then being sort of locked into those national teams are now able to change their allegiances and swap back. I think, you know, Wilfred Zaha thinking, I'm not really going to play for England. Let me actually reconnect with my roots and play for Ivory Coast. It was interesting. You know, he, I don't think he's, you know, he didn't make the squad, but you're seeing more of that now. You're seeing more prominent players who might have 20, 30 years ago play for France or play for England or play for the Netherlands, play for their, their mother nations. And I think that's really cool, right? And again, I highly recommend if you ever meet an Algerian football fan, go, what do you think of Zinedine Zidane? <laughs> because they'll say, well, he's, he's ours. He, he's ours. He, he would have played for us if the Algerian FA had sorted their... XYZ. Ask them what they think of uh, Karen Benzema as well. Like that's one of the really cool things about Afcon is because you do have that, you know, two or three weeks where you can just talk so freely about your country's history, its languages, its um, conflicts, it what you know, its favorite sons and daughters. What you think of certain politicians? It's one of the strange times where, and you know, Africa's history. So there is so much tragedy in in so many African nations and. If you are of a certain age you, and you are, you know, have African heritage, you probably have a family member that doesn't really want to talk about it too much, right? We'll probably talk about politics and probably talk about life back home, not in English, or talk about it, you know, behind closed doors. But you sit down next to your certain uncle, your certain aunt, or your certain granddad in front of AFCON when their national team is playing. And that's the great time. That's when you learn about what, what life was back home. That's what I learned from my uncle Alex sort of what he was getting up to by the Volta River in the 80s. And I was like, what? Um, uh, it's just such an enlightening and enlivening experience. And I think we're getting to this point now where we want to tell these stories. We, we're, we're getting to a point where we it doesn't have to be Eurocentric in everything. And I really enjoyed Halle's question. Like, Why would you ask me? Would I rather stay, stay at Ajax or, or go play for Ivory Coast? Of course I'm going to play. Like, it's, just, it's just such a non-question. Mm. Whereas... 
you know, 20 years ago, maybe, yeah, maybe he probably would have not wanted to, to leave him for an AFCON. Maybe 20 years ago, maybe a football club the size of Ajax would have said, actually, let's not sign this football player because he's going to be away every two or three years. But I think now there's such a a slowly growing acceptance that, no, no, here I am as a football player. You you, you take everything, part, part of my identity. And I think that's great. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast and we'll talk about Ian Wright, why AFCON is supposed to be different and also bring you a statement from Sky in response to questions we asked about their AFCON coverage so far. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Into outer space to find another I'm gonna send Is there ever a tournament more disrespected, more disrespected than the African Cup of Nations? There's no greater honour, none, as a sports person, than representing your country. The coverage is completely tinged with racism, completely tinged. Yeah, we've got some common misconceptions about AFCON that we're, we're in Carl's pace here. So AFCON is too disruptive to the European football calendar. Second one is it should move to a June-July cycle. AFCON should happen every four years instead of two. The quality of pitches used in the competition is bad, as are the goalkeepers. I know Flo will definitely disagree with that. And then the last one, which you know you could say about any football, is African football is corrupt and the money often goes missing. You know, there's some some big big statements there that are, a lot of them very very untrue. What I was thinking by by reading that and looking at Carl's pace and just our discussion so far is, it is a shame actually that it it does happen mid season and that it happens in the. I know there's reasons for it, but that it happens whilst the Premier League and the FA Cup are going on because it does end up getting a little bit lost in there. It'd be great if it what if it was separate and the the only football on at that time, so people could just focus fully on that and tune in. I think there's a danger it gets lost a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And if I could just go back to something Carl said a minute ago that really struck a chord with me when Carl was talking about how when AFCON's on, you know, it really helps him to kind of reconnect with his roots back in Ghana. I, you know, my family are from Barbados originally. So I've been going to Notting Hill Carnival literally since I was about two, three years old. And I'm uh, I'm 26 now. And I really remember when I was going to primary school and I was going to Notting Hill Carnival, all the other kids in my school were like, what on earth are you going to that for? You know, it's really dangerous. It's really violent. There was just this really common misperception about it. And it used to really upset me. And then obviously as I've grown older and I've, you know, transitioned into becoming a teenager, people are like, oh, I've heard Notting Hill Carnival's quite a, quite a good knees up. Do you know what I mean? I might come mm-hmm. along and stuff like that. And that really frustrates me. And obviously part of me is really glad that that perception about Notting Hill Carnival's changed. But for me, it was always about, right, I can go down to Notting Hill Carnival with my dad. I can see people that look like me, people that talk like me, people that listen to not just Bob Marley, but old school reggae roots like Max Romeo, Gregory Isaacs, all those kind of things. I think what Carl's saying about AFCON 
if I can apply the Notting Hill Carnival logic to that, is that slowly over time, people are finally catching up and realising that it's a celebration of culture and that's something that should be respected. And going to what you're saying about some of the comments that have been put to AFCON over the years, it's always felt like it's been belittled. I can constantly remember whenever an African player gets linked with a Premier League club, someone's always going to throw in a comment, yeah, but you're going to lose them every couple of years to AFCON. So, you know, whack 10 million off the price at least or something like that. And it's just disrespectful. You know, I think we also need to look at the fact that this tournament was actually going to be held in the summer. But obviously COVID played a factor. I think Cameroon has like quite a heavy monsoon season and that was another factor in changing it. So they've looked at these things, but that's how they've been been doing it for years. And who are we to kind of come along and say, completely rip up how you've been doing things so you can fit in with how European football works? Because I mean, that's one thing I think about a lot is if you are a European federation, if you're if you if you run a European league and you're aware that AFCON happens every single every single two years, to your winter break. You have a winter break. <laughs> right? France has a, a France reason, has a winter yeah. break. Germany has a winter break. Spain has a winter break. Just go right, you know, you talk to CAF when you know when you're playing AFCON, these two weeks, cheers, cool. We'll just move Send yeah, an email. Quick just email. Pop off a just queue this up. That's all you Great, need to be. Done, fine. No one misses a player. During the winter break, they all go off to their tournament and they come back. Like that that's a really easy way no one misses a game of football that just requires just a little bit of and it's not even necessarily compromise just communication but I think there's been a constant conversation there's been a constant sort of, of tongue wagging and, and finger shaking at Af AFCON and African football without ever properly considering what's gone into African football right um, we've, we've, we've talked about you know there's been massive discussion about the COVID risk of Cameroon right now and you're going well should we not give them more vaccines? You know, should, should we not have a serious conversation about the two-tier system involving COVID vaccines right now, where if you're a football player from African nation currently based in the United Kingdom, you have a lot more access to COVID vaccines, a lot more access to COVID testing than, say, their uncle who's back home. Is there something that can be done to alleviate that sort of risk, right? Uh, obviously, there's been a lot of conversation about the tense political situation in Cameroon right now. But I'm not really seeing much in, in, in discussed by football. What is that conflict? How has that conflict come about? If you speak to someone from Cameroon about that, I say, well, yeah, it's, it's a long running sort of rumbling issue that very much is, is fraught along language lines and sometimes religious lines. And yes, they, they understand it's not safe for everyone. And depending on you know, who you are, what, the accent you use, certain areas of Cameroon are dangerous. However, we hold football tournaments in loads of strange places all the time. Where was the last World Cup? Where was the next World Cup? Yeah. Where did we hold some games of the Euros? Football is not safe for everyone, right? There, There is two or three footballing tournaments in the last five or 10 years that I just can't go to, right? There are certain Champions League fixtures or Europa League fixtures that are a little bit spicier for me to attend than, than say, Flo to attend. But that is a different sort of spice than, say, if Dan were to attend as well, shall we say. Uh, so it, it's that very strange thing where when an AFCON comes along, everyone's very alarmed and very concerned about the safety of football and where money goes missing in football and the quality of football pitches and the quality of goalkeeping. But when it happens in a footballing sphere that everyone's used to, no one tends to bat an eye, which I find really interesting. Um, everyone's fine when it comes to spending 20, 30 million on their fifth choice centre-back. But when it comes to spending 20, 30 million on the star player from an AFCON, it's like, oh no, you can't be doing that. 
Why not? I'm just thinking about how stupid it is, you know, that, you know, people kicking off about AFCON and when it is. Never having a World Cup at Christmas next year. <laughs> and, and, like, in, in Qatar. Well, precisely. Like, you, you, you can't have it both ways. Like, it doesn't make any sense, I think, does it? I think, I think, though, I think a prime example of the the sort of opinion shifting is the fact that for this AFCON, it's now moved to people saying, oh, well, Salah's only missing games against Palace and Brentford, I think it is. You know, it's not that bad. Um, Carl, you, you mentioned in the piece as well, quotes from, from Ian Wright, who's always just, always on the money on these sorts of things and and talking about the disrespect for the tournament and and how some of it's tinged with racism i mean the the something that's got a lot of people talking on twitter is the broadcast coverage and we've got uh we've got a statement from sky in response to that because i think all of us have been a little bit disappointed with the way that i think there was general excitement around the fact that sky got the rights because in previous editions of Akon, it's been really hard to find. It's been like sometimes a bit on ITV, sometimes a bit on Eurosport. Then BBC have got some games and you're like, right, well, where do I go just to watch some matches? Um, but I think there was general excitement when Sky Sports got the rights to this and people were really looking forward to watching the tournament and having sort of a bit more of a central base for it. I know BBC also showing some games, but so far the com- coverage has been pretty minimal it's sort of just in and out of matches single commentary no build-up no analysis you know it's very sort of world feed basic vibes um and yeah I think all of us have been a little bit disappointed because we were expecting a little bit more and I think that kind of screams of the disrespect that both Ian Wright and you know yourself and lots of other people and lots of us uh, think that AFCON is is getting we do have a response from sky on that um they've said the african cup of nations is an excellent tournament and by acquiring this right we are offering our customers the opportunity to watch an additional 52 live matches we put our trust in the world feed but looking for ways to improve the coverage of the competition we will be introducing our own commentary teams in the coming days and we're working through ways to further improve the production of the games as the tournament progresses so it does seem like for the knockout stages, we'll get a little bit more of a Sky product rather than just taking the world feed um, from, you know, that's provided to them. It feels like a missed opportunity. I mean, yeah. if you think about how many diaspora creatives are, are in London alone, how many people working in the football industry of, of free, how many Nigerian freelancers, how many Ghanaian freelancers, how many Senegalese freelancers that are in London, how many people in you know, from with Algerian heritage could very eloquently speak about the Algerian national football team that could very easily come in for a quick zoom and go, right, here's our national team. Here's the issue of it. Here's our greatest ever player. Here's what you think about Zidane and Benzema. Uh, and here we go to the game. Just just that sort of stuff. I think it, it cost a few thousand to do a little bit of pre and post match coverage at the moment at a time where you know you do have these great stories of the group stages uh, I'm not sure if Jay's new favourite team are going to make it to the knockouts but it would be a real shame if when they beat Ghana they will but to me Carl what it screams of is the what what the WSL had on the FA player mm. but, but to put that in perspective that's a domestic women's football competition involving 12 teams. It's not a major international football tournament. So the two things are very different products. Now the WSL has better coverage and it still has games on a single camera feed with one commentator and no replays. But it's a domestic women's football competition. It's not a major international event. And those are, those are the differences is a major international event needs to be treated as such. And I think 
it, I agree with you. I think it's a massive missed opportunity and it will be interesting to see how the tournament does progress and what the coverage looks like because all eyes are on them now mm. and people are interested. People, are like, on, especially on my Twitter feed, like I've never seen so many people talking about AFCON. So people are chomping at the bit to for watch football content and to also find out more about these players, find out more about these countries and their cultures and we're just getting the bare pieces. Yeah. You, yeah, like you want to maintain that interest, and to do that, you've you've got to do pre-match, you've got to do post-match, yeah. you've got to you've got to, you've got to have a color commentator to give you a little bit more information. Of what- also, if there's VAR chaos, we want to know what the managers and players think about the VAR chaos. Thank we you. want to know what, what Dan Bardell, aka VAR. you know the gaffer, <laughs> thinks about it. We need to know these I'll, things. We I can't, was going to say you know, as well, Jai. It's a chance to unearth some some new pundits. As well, get some get some different voices in. It's, it's a really it's a massive opportunity. In fact, it being on Sky and it, having that so many people, so many eyes on it, there would really be a chance to unearth some new pundits as well. One hundred and ten percent. I think obviously I used to to work for Sky, so I have an appreciation that because they got the broadcast rights quite late, that there's going to be some difficulty involved in how quickly they can kind of ramp up their operations. But it also means I also know it's very easy to just hire a studio out in their building and get a couple of people alongside. And like like you said, and like Carla said, there are so many people that would be willingly put their hands up for that for that opportunity. And I think what Carl was talking about, it being a missed opportunity, is bang on the money. Because when I saw Sky Sports got the rights, I thought, this is going to be a generational tournament. This is going to be that tournament that's a marking point where people look back and say, do you know what, the 2021-22 AFCON, that was the tournament that kind of really catapulted it into the limelight. That was the turning point. And then opening game and you've got absolutely nothing. Even last night, I completely forgot that there was no post-match, right? So, you know, Comros have lost. So, you know, I was You're leaning back on my there. sofa. I was waiting. I was thinking, right, come on. I want to hear what's happened. You know, I want them to break down what defender's mistake it was for the goal. Or maybe it was Bupenza's brilliant run. And then it just rolled over into something random. I don't know if it was wrestling or something like that. And I, <laughs> so hang on a second. The thing that gets me is the um, they don't have halftime coverage. Mm. They just but play they the, show highlights. the highlights. They show the highlights of the first half. It's very so there's always that, it's very there's always that half second I have where I'm going, oh, second half already? Yeah. Hang on. <laughs> and I, oh, wait, no. It's, it's the first half. But things will get. I'm really interested to see what the BBC do with their coverage. So they've got uh, Egypt versus Nigeria on Tuesday night. Um, and I, I would hope that there's enough. African players in the Premier League that they'll give us a little bit at least talk about Mohamed Salah a little bit before we kick on I'd love to hear a little bit about you know the fact that this really hurts me to say as a Ghanaian person how Nigeria have got the makings of a golden generation (laughs) (laughs) that'd be cool to share with the rest of the footballing world (laughs) I, I sit here as a hypocrite because I, you know, I've not watched any, any of it. I've not really been engaged with it at all. But even just by doing this podcast, I'm thinking I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch them. I want to watch Comoros just from talking to Jack. <laughs> I want to watch Comoros now. So I, I, I'm, they've definitely got one one extra viewer coming in the next <laughs> few days because I'm gonna definitely be tuning in. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, and I, it will be interesting. I think all, all eyes, like you said, Carl, will be on on the BBC now to see see what they do with it. But it's been brilliant chatting to you guys about the tournament if anyone hasn't watched yet make sure you do sky sky and bbc like we said are doing coverage and there's just loads on the athletic at the moment there's loads all over twitter as well and 
You know, you're bound to have, you're in your, the team you support, you're bound to have a player playing in AFCON right now because it's an ex- expanded tournament, 24 teams, so many countries represented. So I'm sure you can find a reason that you want to connect and just learn more about the magical world of football. So Carl, Jay, thank you so much for joining us. It's been brilliant to chat with you. It's been a pleasure. Been a pleasure. Up the Comoros. This is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Still time to talk about some of the other great writing that's up on the site right now. Flo, what have you been enjoying? Well, we touched on the FA Cup in the pod and... Um, I, I, no, my, we, no, we, no, we didn't. We did. You talked about... No, no, we You didn't. talked about the magic the of the cup. No, no, there's no magic left for me. <laughs> Well, the so-called magic. Anyway, Michael Cox has done a brilliant piece um, saying don't be surprised by the brilliance of the FA Cup. And I think it's it's an important one because there is just this like weird narrative that the FA Cup is boring or lost its magic, whatever. And it's now become a bit of a cliche and actually a joke. And, um, you know, I don't think we should be surprised at how good the third round was and how good the competition will probably be throughout the next couple of weeks and months so yeah nice piece where Michael Cox has kind of highlighted how good the FA Cup is and why you know it should never die because it's a brilliant competition and away from the poison of the FA Cup I'm going to shout out my Aston Villa cohort Greg Evans he's done some great stuff around Coutinho moving to Villa that I've enjoyed reading about how that's worked behind the scenes how Villa have managed to get that over the lines so yeah if you're interested in the third most expensive player in the world going to play for Aston Villa then you can read Greg's piece up on the website right now and a final reminder from me that you can read every article we've mentioned and so much more by signing up to The Athletic save 33% on a full subscription today by visiting theathletic.com forward slash football pod Yep. Thanks ever so much, Flo. And our thanks go to both Carl Anker and Jay Harris as well. And of course, thank you to all of you for listening as well. Please get involved in the comments section. We would love to hear your thoughts. And wherever you do get your podcasts, if you're enjoying the show, then please leave us a nice review too. This was the Athletic Football Podcast. Mark Chapman and Matt Slater reconvene to discuss the business of sport tomorrow. And we hope you will join us again. The Athletic.